Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Turn to the first book in the New Testament, book of Matthew chapter 4 is where we're going to be at. As you're turning there, last time, as in not last Sunday, but last time we were in Matthew, we looked at how Jesus went to be baptized by John in the Jordan. He went to be baptized by him. We looked at what that meant, why he did that. Well, today we're going to see how he goes immediately from that into the wilderness before starting his ministry. I would say as a preparation for ministry, he goes into the wilderness to be tempted. Are you there? Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to read it in its entirety and then we're going to walk through it verse by verse considering what it has for us this morning. This is what the Word of God says. Matthew chapter 4 starting verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days, 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city. He set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and they were ministering to him. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. That's what we're going to be looking at today. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. And I would give some kind of analogy to set the tone of temptation for how you and I struggle with temptation, but I think Kara's already done a really good job of that. That we struggle in ways far greater than with candy. The temptations just grow more intense, more deadly. Verse 1, if you're just looking at it, verse 1 tells us two things right off the bat that are essential for us to notice as we move through the, the other 10 verses. Just looking at that, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. First, we see Jesus was tempted. This was the intent of the entire thing. The Spirit had one intention of leading him out there. And that was that he would be tempted. 
And we need to stop and think, how was Jesus, the perfect Son of God, tempted? And it wasn't in some kind of internal conflict, wrestling to decide which one, because Jesus alone has no sin nature like we do, though He's human. We see in this passage no hint of internal struggle. If anything, we see the opposite where Jesus jumps straight at responding with confidence. So the temptation isn't the internal wrestling, but rather the external presentation to Jesus by Satan of something that's alluring. Satan presented him with something that was alluring, that would normally trip up people when we're weak. That's the first thing we see. Jesus was tempted. But I think maybe more strangely, we see that this was orchestrated by God's Spirit. That He would be tempted. That He would struggle. God orchestrated that. And I think that's, I, I just highlight that because I think that seems to be polar opposite from what we commonly hear. Right? Hardships only come from Satan. Or hardships are just self-inflicted or from other people. We do it to ourselves or they do it to us or Satan does it to us. God never gives us hardships. He only, what? Allows it. You hear that? He only allows it. Certainly wouldn't orchestrate it. But that's exactly what verse 1 suggests. The Spirit led him to it. Drove him out, Mark says, to it. Now, we do know it is true that in James 1, verse 13... It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So we know God doesn't tempt us, but it's also true that God does, in fact, put troubles in our lives. He does. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. You can go to that later if you want to. God does indeed put difficulties in our lives, and that's because... God sees a bigger picture than you and I see. He sees the struggle for more than what we see it as. He knows that in the broader lens that he has to look through, he knows that our struggles can produce good in our lives and therefore are worth our going through them. Romans 5, 3, I think, makes that pretty clear. We rejoice in our suffering. What? Well, yeah, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And so here, the Spirit doesn't tempt Jesus. No, Satan does that. But he does see value in leading Jesus to that temptation. The Spirit sees great value in leading Jesus to it. 
because out of it comes something better, comes something greater. And I think that can be an encouragement to you and I. Before we even go on to the rest of the story, your struggle and your suffering, if God is leading you through it, it's not for nothing, it's not a waste, and it can and it will produce good. And you might have no comprehension of how that's even remotely possible. When you have cancer, when your spouse dies, when your child dies, when you lose your job and you can't pay your bills, and you're saying, this? Yes. Even in that, God works all things for the good of those who love Him. Not passively allows all things. He works those things for your ultimate good. Even if we have no idea of how that's possible on the front end of it. Or on this side of heaven. Your struggle and your suffering are not a waste. They're not for nothing. Don't say it was meaningless or pointless. It wasn't. It isn't. God has a greater vantage point than you and I have. So we can see that in Jesus' time in the desert. But more than that, what can we learn from Jesus' time in the wilderness? First, I think we can learn that we need to be guarded. Because in times of struggle, we are most tempted. To not be faithful to God. We need to be on guard against what the enemy will use against us. So I've got three things, three allurements, if you will, that we need to be on guard against. When you're struggling, when you're suffering, when you're metaphorically in the wilderness, three things to be on guard against, three things to be prepared that Satan will use trip you up. First, Satan lures us with our appetites. I'm a good Baptist, so they're all going to start with A. You're welcome. Satan lures us with our appetites. Appetites. Look at verse 2 and 3 with me. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, that's incredible. The obvious statement comes, he was hungry. Which is actually beautiful because we can now see that our Savior is human. He is hungry. And the tempter came to him at that time. Notice the tempter waited 40 days until he was hungry. And then he comes to him. And he said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. He lures us with our appetite. Now, this teaches us some things about ourselves, about Satan, and about Jesus. Let's first consider, what does this teach us about ourselves as humans? Well, let's not get too academic here. (laughs) We are most susceptible to spiritual attacks when we are physically depleted, physically vulnerable, 40 days with no food, and that's when Satan comes to strike him with the allurement of appetite. We are 
spiritually vulnerable when we are physically exhausted. It's true. You're more likely to fall into sin, be it pornography or something else, when you are tired, hungry, irritable. So there's a lesson from that, isn't there? Just very practically speaking, we should take care of our physical bodies and not let it get to that, right? Not give Satan that foothold. Now, of course, that the exception would be when we are intentionally keeping ourselves from food, fasting for spiritual purposes, such as what Jesus was doing here. That aside, take care of your bodies, that you might not give Satan a foothold. It's very practical. Sleep well at night. I think these are things that you and I should be really intentional about if we want to be the best us we can be for our families, for our friends, for our loved ones. Sleep well at night. Take care of yourself. Eat well. I don't just mean quantity. <laughs> I don't just mean buffet. <laughs> Quality food. Can you believe it? That would make its way into the pulpit. But it's true. Take care of ourselves physically. Don't overbook yourself so that you're so tired. And whenever you get home, you're most susceptible to snap and yell at people in your household. We give Satan a foothold when we deplete ourselves physically. This also teaches us something about Satan, doesn't it? He has no new schemes. No new tricks. He doesn't have any new lures to put on the string. This is the first tactic he had against Adam and Eve. He's still using it thousands of years later. Food. Appetite. Right? He has no new schemes or lures. He only repackages them to fit people and make it look most appetizing to them. It's all the same schemes. I love what Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, says regarding Satan. He says, Satan never brushes the feathers of his birds the wrong way. He generally deals with us according to our taste and our likings. He flavors his bait to his fish. It's true. No new schemes, only repackaged to fit you perfectly and your appetite. Teaches us about ourselves, teaches us about Satan, but I think this first temptation teaches us about Jesus. He stayed strong, he curbed the appetite and the longing that it had to have had within him. He rejected himself, humbled himself, denied himself, stayed strong, and he gave an amazing response. Verse 4, he answered Satan, 40 days hungry, by the way, 40 days hungry, offered nice warm bread. I can't even do that after five hours. And he says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God Wow, that takes strength. 
supernatural strength that the Spirit had to have descended on him and empowered him for this moment. He had to have been thinking the Word of God. That's why he quoted it. He fought Satan with the Word of God, which he had been meditating on and feasting on those 40 days. In fact, I think he even brought it back up because he'd been meditating on it in the wilderness. He brings it back up in the next chapter when he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount. Does this sound familiar? Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. It's almost as if Jesus was having to wrestle through that himself, so to preach that in the next chapter. And in doing this, in withstanding Satan's temptations, we see that Jesus is better than all of us, obviously, right? He is the better Israel. Israel was out in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus was for 40 days and 40 nights. They complained and griped before I think they even got outside of Egypt's borders. We're hungry. We're going to starve to death. You forgot us, God. Jesus is the better Israel, faithful in the wilderness, never doubting God's provisions. He is the better Adam. The devil presented him with food, but he refused it. Adam and Eve, when presented with food, they gave in. Jesus is the better Adam. He is the better Israel. And therefore, guys, we, we owe him our worship. He is due our worship. He is worthy of our praise and our faithful commitment to Him. So, it's the first one. Satan lures us with our, what? Appetite. Secondly, Satan lures us with acceptance. Acceptance. Let me read verses 5 and 6 and see how we get that. It says, then the devil took him to the holy city, and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. It's Jerusalem, by the way. And he said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Satan lures us with acceptance. How do I get acceptance here? Well, this would have been a way to prove his lordship to the world. To Israel specifically, going to the holy city, going to Jerusalem. On top of the temple of God. And showing that he commands angels' armies. What better way to show your lordship to God's people than that? You ever seen Greatest Showman? I love movies. How does, how does P.T. Barnum, Hugh Jackman, get all these people to join his team to be the big circus that he wants it to be? How does, when he goes overseas and he finds that woman that's singing, I can't remember her name now, but how does he get her to join him and go around singing? What, if you notice, 
the, the man that's on the horse or the guy that's played by Zac Efron. Half of you guys are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Every time he goes and recruits people, his lure to them is, this will be the biggest stage in America. This will be the biggest stage that the world has ever known. You will be known by everybody. Right? And it gets his whole team. That's how he gets them. That's attractive to us, isn't it? To be seen, to be accepted, to be known. God affirmed Jesus just before this passage in front of a crowd out in the wilderness. When he was baptized by John and, and the heavens opened up and he said, this is my son. There was a crowd there and they saw it and they were out in the wilderness. This would be in the holy city over the temple of God. What a stage. What a stage. He lures him with acceptance and Satan's tactic here is to manipulate and to twist scripture in a way that it wasn't intended for. To say, do this, because the angels are going to take care of you. They'll provide for you. He's using Scripture, but twisting it, manipulating it in a way that it wasn't intended. Can I tell you, church, that happens all the time today. That happens Sunday morning probably more than any other time of the week. Right? Right? People can take Scripture so easily and make it fit their agenda. So easily. Let me give you a few examples and just see how easily people can run with it. Ecclesiastes 9. We see that. It says, go. This is just one verse taken out of context. Go, eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you're doing. You ever heard that theology before? Do whatever you want. God is a God of love. He doesn't care what you're doing. He loves you. All of us will find our way in heaven. Enjoy life now. Whatever enjoyment looks like for you, at least. God is a God of love. God wants you happy. And He wouldn't have made something if he didn't want you to enjoy it in the first place, right? Except for if you just read the first two chapters of Genesis, he makes a tree and says, I don't want you to eat from that tree, but I made it. I regress. Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Oh, have you ever heard this? You're perfect just the way you are. Your sexual orientation, your own desires, what feels right to you, you're made in God's image. Embrace that. Step into that. Can you see how that can be so manipulated completely from what was intended in Genesis 1.27? Oh, how it happens all the time. Satan did that. It's still happening today. 
I think the lesson is that we need to know Scripture. Can I just burst your bubble? Having a verse a day ain't going to get the job done. It's true. We need to know Scripture. We need to really know Scripture, both defensively, that is to identify errors when it's being misused, such as right there, or Genesis 1.27 when someone says, I'm made in God's image. You need to know Scripture defensively, that is to correct errors when you hear them, but also offensively to push back with the actual truth. That's what Jesus does, right? He doesn't just tell Satan, no, that's not what that meant. That's not what that verse is talking about. He does do that, but he also corrects with Scripture. We need to know Scripture defensively and offensively. And I don't think that has to be intimidating. Maybe you feel that way. This is daunting. just want to mention this very quickly, and then I'll move on. You can find all the Scriptures that Jesus quotes here from, Gen- from Matthew 4. All the Scriptures He quotes usually found either on one or two pages of the Bible, right next to each other. Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8, you can usually have your Bible open and see all of it on one page. And in fact, what Jesus was quoting there, he probably learned as a child. You don't have to be a scholar, you don't have to be an academic to beat Satan with Scripture. You just have to know your Bible. Last thing, I'll go very quickly. Satan lures us with appetite, with acceptance. Lastly, he lures us with authority. Oh, it feels good to be in power. Let me read verses 8 through 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of these I'm going to give you if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Oh, but how alluring it is to rule. How alluring it is to have power. I want you to notice the shift here in his tactics from from the first temptation to the last temptation. The bread, right? Make these stones turn to bread. And then this one, you can have all the kingdoms of the world bow down before you. Notice the shift he has here. He goes to Jesus when he's starving and tries to get him tripped up when he has absolutely nothing. And then here, he lets Jesus see all the riches of the world and see if that'll trip him up. Polar opposites, isn't it? I think we can learn from that. Please hear this. If Satan can't discourage you by taking everything, he'll distract you by giving you everything. Both can send you to hell. Both work on millions. If he can't discourage you by taking everything, he'll distract you by giving you everything. And he doesn't care which one it takes. He'll try both on you. Different seasons of life, he might try one or the other. He doesn't care as long as it gets the job done. He doesn't care if he needs to distract you with things. 
or discourage you with starvation makes no difference to him. And again, Jesus is radically different than you and I. I think, we're honest, we give in. I give in. Think about the comparison between Herod and Jesus, both kings. Herod, not too long back in the book of Matthew, he hungered for authority so much, didn't he? Oh, he wanted no one to challenge his throne over the Jews. In fact, he hungered for it so much, it drove him to murder. Kill anyone in his path, even babies. Oh, what sin can do to us. He hungered for that authority that wasn't his, wasn't rightfully his. Jesus, it was rightfully his, is rightfully his, and yet he humbled himself and denied it for now. Wow. You can have all of these nations worship you, and Jesus says, not right now. It's rightfully his. And still, I think Satan uses a tactic that would have worked on most of us to trip up Jesus. Satan promised Jesus what Jesus already had rights to. He created it. I think we have two lessons here. Trying to go quick. And Satan showing him all the nations, all the kingdoms of the world, and saying, these could all be yours if you just bow down and worship me. Two things we can learn about Satan here. First, Satan will convince you or try to convince you that you're lacking when you truly aren't in need. Oh, if I just had. Oh, it would be so nice to have. He will try to convince you, and that's true for you, true for me. He will try to convince you that you are lacking when you aren't really lacking. Jesus already had all of the nations under him. And yet Satan tries to convince him that he is lacking it. Second thing we learn about Satan is that he will promise you the world. But he has nothing to give. He will promise you the world and he has nothing to actually give. The truth is that Jesus alone can promise abundance. He alone is worth losing the world for. It's true. Last thing that, before we wrap up, what does this passage teach us? One, it teaches us to be on guard against Satan's schemes. But secondly, it teaches us to trust God's faithfulness in the struggle. It teaches us to trust God's faithfulness. Let me read verse 11. It's the last verse. It says, Then the devil left him after all this didn't work. So the devil left him, and behold, angels came, and they were ministering to him. Do you remember in verse 6, Satan offered that to him? Jump off the temple, and the angels will come and take care of you. He offered that in verse 6. Jesus rejects it, and then here, Jesus receives it. I think we can learn from this to withstand immediate gratification. 
ultimately we will find our needs met by God in due time. It's immediate gratification that will get us. I want it right now. We see this in biblical examples. Eve, she wanted the fruit now. Judas, he wanted the bag of money. Esau, he wanted the soup. I want now. I want what's in front of me. And for us, it could be so many things. You see, God might grant you what your desire is seconds after Satan offers it to you. Jesus withstood it, Satan left, and then God gave it to him. He might give you your desires seconds later if you're faithful. Or he might satisfy your desires 70 years down the road after you've been faithful your whole life. Or, please hear this, or he'll call you to suppress that desire for your entire life and never give that desire to you. And in all of those situations, hear me, he's worth it. He's worth it. Whether it's 10 seconds of waiting, a lifetime of waiting, or never getting it. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. So, to anyone who is not walking with Jesus, I hope that you see that, that Jesus is better. To the Christian, maybe find yourself in a way of speaking, in the wilderness, struggling. I'd say firstly, cling to your Bible. Know the Word of God. Secondly, look to your Savior's example of faithfulness. He was faithful for your sake, that He would be the perfect sacrifice for you three years later. I know that in any struggle, you or I face. I can withstand it. I can overcome it. Yet not I, but through Christ in me, right? Let's pray. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com. 